Hi everyone, this is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by DJ Chuang, a strategy consultant with the Dot Bible Domain Name Registry. We have a conversation about the future of church, examples of effective online communities, and the impact of COVID-19, particularly on Asian Americans and mental health. So let's get started. So I know that we've had random conversations over Instagram and everything about your thoughts on how the coronavirus is going to impact the future of the church. Um, and I also know that you're very much involved with uh, mental health in the church through your Erasing Shame podcast, also Asian American uh, ministry and what that looks like. And so I think there's a lot of really cool things that we can talk about today. And I just wanted to kick it off maybe uh, by talking about how you're doing, how um, how you're experiencing this crisis, what it means for your church, your work, and your family. Yeah, well, I'm very blessed to be in a healthy season of life. And uh, I've been personally feeling good and normal and healthy for about two and a half years, almost three years now. So just very grateful for that. Um, this, When this coronavirus uh, spread and the quarantine happened, it was March 19th in California when they started this day at home mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. So we're coming up right at the one month mark as this podcast is being uh, listened to. We're all working from home. I work with the Dot Bible Registry. Been doing remote work for seven years, so that part's not new to me. Mm-hmm. And then my wife and son have figured out how to use Zoom and digital tools, and they're doing okay uh, working from home. And the experience is a little bit different even though I've done remote work for a number of years, is that because we're all working remote, it's taking extra concentration and extra energy to be on the screen Mm. uh, exclusively for your work. Whereas I think before um, there was a little more, hey, I could get outside and go to Starbucks or Chick-fil-A, which is where I like to do Uh my work for at least half the day and to have that fresh air and the ambient noise in the background, but now I'm confined to my desk mostly. Mm-hmm. I could get Wi-Fi coverage outside, but no one's really come up with a laptop that works well in sunlight. I know. I <laughs> or was at least hoping, I can't afford one. <laughs> I was hoping that those e-ink displays that are in the Kindle and stuff would get so popular that the price would go down and we could have color displays on our laptop that are e-ink mm-hmm. but it's only this year finally that some color e-ink displays are coming out in europe and uh mm-hmm. even so it's just like really expensive the refresh rate isn't so great mm-hmm. and yeah it's just it, that technology is still kind of a little ways out before it goes mainstream but the moment it does man we can enjoy the sun a lot more it's going to be great yeah yeah that would be great and then we're recording this on zoom and i've been using zoom uh, more than I used to before, because now there's more people on Zoom. So it's given me an extra boost of social connections. And then, oh, in terms of church life, um, we're all meeting online. So I'm part of two small groups through Zoom. And uh, I'm surprised how many people are not comfortable using these technologies that I've been using for years. Oh, so what is so what's going on? Been, They're getting stuck like they can't get their video or audio working or something more than that. Yeah, all of that. All of that and where to click, where to click and how do you get the audio working? How do you get the webcam working? How do you mute yourself? I mean, every little step that is already intuitive for us Mm -hmm. uh, is brand new to people. 
and they don't even know what Zoom is. And <laughs> how do you teach them if like you don't even have Zoom to be able to explain things to them in the first place? Are you like texting them like, uh, maybe yeah. go here, go there? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Texting and on the phone. It took me almost half an hour to get my mom onto a Zoom video call. Oh man! But uh, then I realized I should have just sent her a link that would have cut out about 20 minutes of that. But it was still uh, for people that are not tech literate. Yeah. They don't see the screen as a screen. They, they don't know where to focus and where to look when you say, oh, just click on file and oh, save. Yeah. They're like, where's the file? And they, it's, it's yeah. too much information. So I feel that way myself on the basketball court. So I cannot look at the basketball court and see my team and know where to throw the ball. Uh-huh. So I, I kind of know the feeling similar. So I'm guessing when someone sees a screen, they don't know how to find things on the screen. Just like I can't find my teammates on the basketball field, so I can't be that point guard. (laughs) That makes sense. That's a good analogy. I think uh, I I take it for granted because I guess I've been so conditioned by using computers that like there is actually significance to different parts of the screen, like the upper left, the right, the upper right. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the whole windowing system, like all these things they're actually not that necessarily that very intuitive. Yeah. And I have a relative that is still very comfortable and longs for the day of the DOS prompt where you type command lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of definite coders who love just living in the command line, living in the terminal and Tmux and stuff like that. There's and that gives you else. one single point of focus. It does. So I think that's why he likes it. Yeah. It's so easy to focus that way. And it looks cool too. It makes you look pretty epic if you're in front of a terminal. <laughs> Do you think that with this basically wholesale push that everyone has to go digital, that coming out of this, now that people already have the skills, there's going to basically be, even if we could meet in person, do you think that a large portion of what we do, both in work and church and other things, will remain um, largely digital? Or do you think there's going to be kind of like a a backlash of of relief of like, let's never use those tools again because we can finally meet each other. Um, What's your sense, your perspective on that, how people are going to be um, using these tools coming out of this? It's going to have two or three different reactions. So there are going to be people that revert back and resist this, Mm -hmm. uh, these new technologies that we've been using for a month or two. Uh, There's going to be people that really, springboard off of this as entering a new future and creating a new future of how we do church. And I think those are the ones that are going to thrive because Mm -hmm. we're already in a fast changing world. And this has in one sense pushed the spiritual accelerator, Mm. put the gas to the metal to say, Hey, we got to pivot from using 20th century ministry methodologies and get into the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And, and so church is not a 90-minute event on a weekend. It is a 24-7 engagement, mm. minus sleep hours, of course, but <laughs> a 24-7 engagement online and offline. Mm-hmm. And that, that should be seamless. And it already is for some tribes of people mm-hmm. in the, the digital natives. And so we're realizing, hey, all of us need to become proficient as digital natives to be more effective in growing spiritually, connecting with each other and being all that God's uh, created us to be Mm -hmm. uh, in today's time. And then I think there's a, a, what was the third one? I see. I can see another category of people who are maybe Mm -hmm. 
who see the future, they probably agree with the second category, but they might have more reservations. They're more concerned mm-hmm. or something. So they don't really mm-hmm. want to reject it, but they're afraid of fully embracing digital too because they think they're going to lose something. They're going to lose mm-hmm. the value of in-person or they're going to lose, you know, like, yeah. So maybe that sparks your yes. imagination for your idea, yeah. Yeah, so, so um, my second category were those that were going to go ahead and take, uh, take it even further out and, mm-hmm. and create new ways of ministry. The second one is going to kind of be in that middle place, still trying to figure out what's going to be uh, the way to do ministry, and there, there's uncertainty. Mm-hmm. But what's I think the reality is that second category, in addition to what you said, are people that don't are still hesitant to meet physically mm. because they're afraid of germs. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think the coronavirus thing is going to be resolved in three to six months. Yeah. Um, I think it's still going to be a risky proposition to be around social gatherings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not going to just go Especially away large overnight. Ones, yeah. 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 And then secondly, I think churches that are still reaching people that they know how easy it is to at least put a live stream online. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Oh, the, so the, so the thought with um, the second category is that, Active churchgoers are, are, are already attending church about 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. Before the coronavirus even. Yes, yeah. before the coronavirus. And now with these online tools, I think churches can realize that, hey, here's the other 50% of the time that people can connect with your home church mm. online. And I think that will help the church uh, make the transition in a slower fashion. Oh, I see. Yeah, so that's my second category is people that are going to uh, take more time and make the turn more slowly, mm-hmm. whereas, whereas my second category are those people that will just spring ahead and, hey, everything's up for grabs. Let's just reconfigure and redo yeah. it. Yeah. Now, do you think, though, that like the move to digital has kind of also revealed a lot of the the weaknesses of the old model as well as the obsolescence of it, like things that really were still being practiced to no good purpose anymore. And also the the competition, frankly, that's online because, um, you know, I think that a lot of churches that were not already online, their unique value proposition was their location in the neighborhood or the relationships Mm -hmm. that were formed in that Mm -hmm. community more than the content even. Right. And, it just seems like the push to online exposes people to like, it's so easy just to alt tab, uh, you know, to, or to switch mm-hmm. links to a different live stream or to join mm-hmm. other random zoom calls and everything. And mm-hmm. it seems as if a lot of the things that kept a sense of loyalty, perhaps to one specific church expression don't mm-hmm. have as much weight anymore. And mm-hmm. do you th- like, what do you think about that and what mm-hmm. that's going to mean for yeah, it's, going online? Uh, I, I, I collect playing cards, so I like to use playing cards as a metaphor. Uh-huh. That uh, the the deck has been shuffled. Yeah, <laughs> the deck has been shuffled. Yeah, the deck has been shuffled in terms of how church is going to be effective at reaching its the audience that it's called to reach. Mm-hmm. So, as you mentioned, there there are churches, particularly local churches, that are very community focused, mm-hmm. and it's because of the proximity or particular demographics that holds that church together Mm. in a physical proximity or a demographic proximity. There are large churches, uh, those over 2000 in size Mm -hmm. uh, and sociologically they're called mega churches. And those draw on quality of program. 
and and in order to draw a audience of over two thousand in marketing speak, you have to find the lowest common denominator because mm-hmm. you got to please a lot of people. Yeah, and so that uh, to part of doing that is having super high quality speakers, super high quality children's programs, super high quality music mm-hmm. and that whole experience and the process of participating in the church has to be defined into very simple steps. One, two, three, four, mm. whether you call them classes or you call yeah. them next steps so that everybody goes through the same template. Mm. So it's, it's not very agile, although they, they add the um, diversity of programming because uh, with the large number of people, you can operate, and run a lot of different programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so high quality and then numbers of programs is how you keep a large audience uh, glued together. Mm-hmm. So that's the cohesion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the proximity as the cohesion. We have the professionalism and programs as the cohesion. Mm-hmm. And then going into the 21st century, finally, um, the cohesion is going to be digital engagement as Mm. our digital natives and social media is already showing that's how people a lot of people are behaving and living Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and churches have not been in that space and have not leveraged that space for its own people Mm. and now that's the new cohesion i mean you look at how much time people regardless of faith are spending on social media that is their cohesion point that's their engagement that's their connectivity Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, yeah, YouTubers, the ones that have huge audiences still have to have that quality level. Yeah. But, uh, what keeps those people there is also some kind of cohesion among that tribe mm. that has to be facilitated. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be facilitated by just one talent producing quality content. So what are those other things that they that are happening amongst that tribe to sustain that cohesion? That's that's the question that we have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, as a church. Yeah. Now we can learn from the examples of how people are doing it now uh, through social media. Mm-hmm. So where audiences gravitate towards, and and I'm not sure that's the appropriate model for churches because more goes on in church than just one talent that draws a big audience that likes to stay engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether they have you know, funny memes or they have a funny perspective. So it tends to be entertainment driven, mm-hmm. which is, which is what social media has been amplified and good at, but it's also uh, strongly engagement driven for other uh, online communities, whether mm-hmm. it's a gaming gaming community or uh, people with similar interest. So there, there are groups for dis, uh, disabled parents with mm-hmm. kids of a certain disease and they have a little Facebook group and they have great conversations. Uh, something that's been happening around the world, subtle Asian traits, mm-hmm. a handful of high schoolers in Australia started noticing these quirky things about being bicultural mm-hmm. Asian and Western. And that's blown up into was it 1.7 million fans on their Facebook group. Yeah, members of the group. I'm a member of that as well a as the year and Christian a half, traits, two yeah. years. Yeah, and then it's spun off into all kinds of other topics. And that's one of the few places where I've seen the group having way more people than the page. 
Oh. Usually the page has a lot more, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. With brands and whatever else. But in this instance, the group has 1.7. The page has around 30,000 maybe. Uh-huh. I think that's a uh, example of a community-driven thing mm. rather than a celebrity or talent-driven thing. And people are relating each other. So that's a that's a well that's the one that came to mind. That's interesting. I'm sure there's other examples because being part of that group is kind of like you're different. I'm definitely most of the time a lurker. I'm just kind of like sitting there. I'm not contributing much. But then every so often a meme will come by that's funny, and I'll share it with a friend. Or I tried to post two things to the Subtle Christian Traits group. One that was noticing in the Indonesian Bible uh, that that Yoda Y O D A shows up in Jesus's lineage actually. <laughs> so it's like, so I posted that one. That one got quite a, got, got some good engagement on the subtle Christian traits group. So I, it's like learning the language of that, of that subculture. It's like, okay, so this is like a meme group. So you can't really, you don't really promote sophisticated humor or whatever like that, but you just post a meme there and then it'll get accepted by the admins and then shared. And so it's like kind of navigating the culture of the group. Cause that's really all that they offer is just memes on a regular basis from all their community members that are yes. relevant to that either Asian-ness or sure. To, yes. to being a Christian, so. I've but there's that, a yeah. group called Subtle Asian Mental Health. Oh, okay. And there's over thirty, almost forty thousand people in that group, and they're having very honest, candid, transparent conversations. Mm. So when someone shares a story or a question, there's at least thirty to fifty comments, people engaging and having conversation. That's a part of relationship. That mm-hmm. relationships grow, and we experience relationship because of conversations mm-hmm. not just physical proximity but meaningful conversations that connect us heart to heart mm-hmm. so we don't fully know what it's going to look like now that we have everybody online yeah <laughs> and and some people are going to really uh, push that forward beyond the hey let's just just gather around the sermon yeah for sure my, my hope is it will actually produce stronger disciples because uh, all of us auton- are autonomous Mm-hmm. rather than relying on the talent. That's my hope too, is that, that now the church goes from being that product that gets consumed into a platform that unleashes mm-hmm, everybody's mm-hmm. gift in every part mm-hmm. of the world, every part of the digital world, every part of the physical world too. Amen. Because even thinking about the subtle Asian mental health group or something, it's like, wouldn't it be amazing for more and more Asians who are Christians to be part of that group and to be connecting with people deeply about shared struggles and about how the gospel changes our lives and helps us even in the midst when we're struggling, we don't have to be perfect or Mm -hmm. anything. And then isn't that so powerful because it's not restricted to just one church's group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so much better. Like that is, that's the most authentic organic discipleship and evangelism that you could have instead of being just, Oh, I'm part of my church's only mental health group. You know, like you can be out there in the public square with other people. Yeah. That seems like a great shit. Or even just multiple churches connecting and having more cross pollinization. Yes. So one of the things that happened was the churches in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Uh uh, 28 churches had worship leaders sing a song collectively Mm. in a virtual choir. Well, they call it virtual choir, but it it was just one song. Yeah. And they did it beautifully. You know, it may not be as professionally perfect, Mm -hmm. but it was human. Yeah. It was the church coming together online, uh, even though they're physically closer than, but I mean, the the physical geography is no longer an issue when you can Mm -hmm. go online and connect and worship in that way. And I'll send you a link so you can add it to the show notes. That'd be fantastic. That's an example of what the future could look like. 
Yeah, more and more often too, um, because that mm-hmm. basically that means that coronavirus has completely effectively displaced the old conception of church as a building. It really, mm-hmm. it literally is not a building, and it also right. changes the imagination for everybody to realize, oh, I'm a member of a church. Doesn't mean this one specific church, like that 28 mm-hmm. church network. That is church. Mm-hmm. 28 of us together in our, all yes. our communities, we are the church, and it yes. connects us globally too. So it's like it's like yes. so helpful because now instead of only talking about it or theorizing about it, everyone's experiencing for the reality that I'm a member of the body of Christ yes. everywhere, not just yes. this local community that yes. I was visiting once a week on Sunday. Yes. Yeah. So that's a powerful change. Yeah. 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 So I think the local has to reconfigure and uh, accommodate or, or expand into the universal church. Mm and have that both and relationship and mm-hmm. that's going to help the entire body of Christ to grow together. Amen. That also sounds like, um, I think the other conception that I was thinking of was before there's a very kind of strong loyalty or exclusivity that you can really mm-hmm. only be a member of one literal local church. Mm-hmm. But now that it's all virtual, it's like that, that doesn't, it hasn't made sense for a while, but now it's more obvious that it doesn't make sense because even as a believer, like we're connected through so many different networks whether it's mm-hmm. the Code for the Kingdom Network from the past mm-hmm. or whether it be our shared interest in Asian, Asian American and multi-ethnic ministry, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be our digital side of Dot .bible and work mm-hmm. that we've done at some of the conferences we've been to, like there's so many mm-hmm. connecting paths and we're not even members of the same local church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I think that, um, yeah, just creating that space in our church institution to realize that, yeah, people are members of many different networks and that's actually mm-hmm. their value. Like it's mm-hmm. not the fact that they're exclusively are a member of my community that makes them, you know, significant to us. It's that they are so interconnected and they bring the gifts of those connections to us and to everywhere they go, every place they go. Yeah. And I'll give a mention to a book that may be ahead of its time, but very timely now, Mm. which is the changing church economics by Mm. Mark DeMoz. Mm. And so he, he came at it from more of an on the grounds model, but I think the online reality has opened up, the eyes of church, institutional church, and physical buildings that it's not economically sustainable mm-hmm. to use more financial terms. And yeah. I think that reality is going to sink in because giving patterns are going to look different. And how do you keep that? The how do you keep the lights on and the staff paid when these realities are changing and we have, we have multiple affiliations? Yep. And so it's it's um, it's shaking things up a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have the answer for that, but while it's being shaken up, we, we need to um, stay connected to what Christ is about, what the mission is, realize things have to change. There's, there's, it, it's going to hurt us by trying to hold on to how things have been done in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, change, change is painful in itself also, but <laughs> how we navigate at change is by holding on to what doesn't change, right? Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Christ is the one who provides for us and will get us through this and cause yeah. us to grow. Actually, I think through this into the mature body of Christ. Yeah. Cause it has felt like, yeah, we just kind of wanted to stay comfortable <laughs> with the status quo for a long time. And now we don't have that well, choice anymore. We in the uh, 2019 America have had, had it very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's I've true. been listening to some devotions from Tim Keller and he's been describing that secular humanism, which is the dominating thought in our pop culture, mm-hmm. uh, is that Americans don't know how to suffer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Short of it, 
we've been lulled into comfort and complacency that even even a headache then we got to take medicine for a headache mm-hmm. and just the smallest annoying things we get bent out of shape on i live here i've lived in california for maybe 13 years now mm-hmm. but i grew up in virginia and one of the quirky things i notice about californian natives is if the temperature changes two degrees they're screaming for <laughs> how cold it is or how hot it is discomfort yeah yeah that's funny I also feel like our high-performance society feeds off of that quote-unquote comfort because I think that there, it felt for a long time, even in tech, there is very little breathing room. If you got sick or if you're tired and you tried to take like two weeks off, you'd be so behind on your work that you would rather just keep suffering through your sickness and just keep working most of the time unless you absolutely had to. Um, and, and so I can see this interplay of like, yeah, well, on the one hand, we're not very good at suffering, but also on the other hand, we've built a society that assumes that we don't suffer long, that we kind of keep pressing in and keep being productive and keep pushing forward. And it seems like COVID has kind of undone both of those things. Cause when we, mm-hmm. I mean, I know tech people are still working super hard and, and medical people are working really hard, but mm-hmm. it's kind of changed the pace, I think. Mm-hmm. And then secondly is that we are all suffering. Like uh, the whole world is suffering together on this one and Americans too. And so um, definitely undoing some of those things that Tim Keller pointed out in what you were describing. Yeah. Have you, um, maybe we can take a conversation a little bit to the Asian American ministry that you've discussed before. Uh, I'm Asian American and you're as well. And it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about the, what's, what you've noticed is unique about the Asian American perspective versus maybe a more widely known American perspective and also a more Asian, Asian perspective when it comes to things like mental health or when it comes to things like church and ministry. Um, I know those are pretty broad questions, but any insight you give, I think could be an interesting conversation. Well, two, two things have happened because of this uh, pandemic. One is anti-Asian racism. Mm-hmm. So uh, as we speak now, almost 10,000 people have signed a statement that was put together by the Asian American Christian Collaborative. And mm-hmm. I helped with uh, launching their website. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a volunteer group of about 20 or 30 people that have uh, put this statement out to rally Christians around this unified cause statement that anti-Asian racism needs to be addressed and mm. stopped. And there's over a thousand racially motivated incidents that have uh, harmed people verbally and even physically mm-hmm. uh, in, in America already. And the rhetorics in the polit- political circles are, are not toning down yet. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a serious issue that um, Christians, uh, both Asian American and non-Asians, are mm-hmm. addressing yeah. uh, through their spheres of influences uh, individually and organizationally. So that's the most immediate thing that's affecting the collective of Asian American Christians and churches. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of mental health, uh, that one's still rather elusive mm. because of our shame-based background and how we think and we're influenced and shaped by our family context. Yeah, And so we don't yet have the freedom uh, in the family context or extended family to address mental health issues. But as we mentioned a bit earlier, the Subtle Asian Mental Health Facebook group mm. uh, has opened up a safe place online. Mm-hmm. and that's helping people. I'm not sure how that's translated into Christians that might be Asian American and struggle with mental health, but mm-hmm. at least it's addressing it 
across faith lines, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, because I've definitely I've definitely noticed, um, even though I was born in America and everything, uh, the way that my upbringing in my Asian household, right, really uh, influenced the way that I communicate and the subtlety oftentimes where we rely so much <laughs> on context and indirect communication and how that can be ineffective a lot of times in, in American contexts. And it's not until I became an adult that I became so much more aware of all of these subtle Asian traits that were uh, being expressed and changing the way I, I interact with the world. And then becoming more aware of it was helpful because then I can make a choice. And I think that's what it was, is that I could be more intentional about choosing to lean into my Asian way of communicating or lean into more American way uh, and just trying to... Um, to navigate that according to the different circumstances, but it does feel like a lot of work because what comes automatically to others and makes it work for them doesn't work for me. So I have to be more intentional. Yeah. We have to work twice as hard. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have to live in, well, we have to live in the Asian context because of relationships. And then we have to work in the American context. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you have to work with a diversity of people. Then if you want to be effective with diversity, then you have to work to learn, uh, multiple languages, kind of mm -hmm. like how Spiffio's facilitating uh, in terms of at least communication. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, for those of us that are Asian American, then then for younger ones that are just beginning to realize that it's it's dealing with identity issues on top mm -hmm. of that, and then yeah, mental health. Um, a lot of the therapies and techniques are really culturally Western. Mm -hmm. Getting culturally competent mental health care is still hard to find mm. but the asian asian subtle mental health group has put together a nice directory of those who are culturally competent so that's been helpful mm -hmm. yeah so the uh, whole asian american church and asian american uh, mental health issues are certainly big parts of my life now uh, i've written a book multi-asian church mm -hmm. which is describing and highlighting shedding a light on the phenomena of Asian American led multi-ethnic churches. Hmm. I think um, what Asian Americans bring to the table in terms of the American church and the church globally is that we are inherently bicultural. Yes. Whereas most other people grew up in one culture and they know how to navigate one culture. Mm -hmm. But because we are inherently bicultural, we can navigate multiple cultures and that can create a different kind of a multi-ethnic church mm. that could bring everybody else together. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the takeaways from the book. And then I also have a podcast called Erasing Shame mm -hmm. at erasingshame.com. So uh, that one, we have weekly conversations about healthy living. We take it beyond mental health, but shame un underlies uh, so much of our lives mm -hmm. as Asians, but also everybody. Shame yep. looks different in every culture. And we don't know how to talk about it. So the way Brene Brown, a popular uh, researcher and psychologist, has described that uh, shame festers in silence. Mm. So the genesis of the podcast idea was, well, the opposite of silence is to talk. So mm -hmm. podcasting is a great talk medium. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> You're just recording a conversation and sharing go. it with the world. I think I experienced that myself in my own life where the moment I discovered that others were struggling with what I was struggling with, mm -hmm. it really changed things. Um, but you had to find those people because the ones who didn't, they wouldn't get it and they might mm -hmm. hurt more. But when you talk with others who get it, then it's like, mm, there's some healing that happens just from That's right. knowing that you experience yeah. it together. 
Yeah. yeah. And I, I go to a little church called Saddleback and our pastor <laughs> likes to make tweetable, tweetable, memorable quotes. And one, the ones relevant here is that the, the sharing of feelings is the beginning of healing and you don't have to share with everybody, but you do have to share with somebody. Mm. So it's such just when you can't find that one person you can share with and mm-hmm. feel like you're understood and supported. Yeah, that's great. How do we help people who are listening right now? I guess we can just encourage listeners. If you guys are having something on your mind or heart, please do reach out. At least share with one person. And, and then I guess I'll be praying for our listeners as well later. <laughs> I keep my phone line and social media pretty open. Uh-huh. So, so I have an open door policy. So what I'm experiencing or intuiting during the season is that people, people don't need content or people don't need more content because mm-hmm. we've got so much content. Yeah. People need connection. And so by keeping my doors open, I'm saying, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be here to listen to you. If you yeah. want to leave a voicemail, here's my number. If you want to leave a message and to have someone that's non-judgmental and will just mm. pay attention to what you say. And this is the, I guess, the magic of talk therapy or prayer mm. is that when you say something out loud and you get it out of your system, it lightens your load. Mm. That's why prayer is so powerful potentially yeah when you can unload your feelings before a god who can handle it Mm. and you can unload with someone who's safe that can carry the weight of that that's Mm -hmm. how you lighten your burden and that's how you can walk start walking towards that journey of healing that's wonderful thank you so much dj i think that's a great note to end on. We have so much more that we could talk about. I hope to have you on the show again in the future. But everyone, if you'd like to connect with DJ, uh, you can do so with his Twitter, at DJ Chuang. Yep, DJ Chuang everywhere. I believe I've gotten that handle everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram.com. <laughs> DJ Chuang.com. LinkedIn. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. And as you also mentioned, uh, our work with Spiffio, one thing I'm hoping for is that as churches become more digital, it makes it so much easier to go multilingual or to even be multi-ethnic and multilingual. And I haven't figured out the relationship piece yet because it it is harder to build a relationship with a stranger online, I think, than in person. But I'm hopeful that now that it's largely digital, so much more can be accessible to people who are deaf and hard of hearing and also people who speak other languages and that we can form that connection and community around that. I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but I'm hopeful that this is like setting the stage for something big like that. So, yeah. Thank you, Chris, for continuing your conversations on Theotech. I know technology is a big part of our spiritual lives and not just our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Amen. All right. Thank you. And until next time.